Welcome to Start at Regions 1 and 3 podcast. My name is Dr. Annie Ranking, and I am a family resource specialist with StarNet Regions 1 and 3. If you'd like to find out more about us, please visit us at starnet.org. Everyone to start at Regions 1 and 3 podcast. I'm really excited to have one of my former co-workers, Maggie. And so Maggie, can you introduce yourself for all of our listeners? Yeah. Hi, I'm Maggie Dolan. Um, I, again, I used to work with Annie, which was wonderful. Um, currently, I am a special education administrator in Peoria School District 150. Um, prior to that, I taught um, a variety of special education teacher roles. Excellent. And you um, taught from kindergarten through fourth grade? So I taught majority of my time K-2, but I also taught um, high school biology and co-taught biology way back in the day, so. (laughs) Well, I invited you on today to help um, our listeners kind of think through the IEP process. And so as a professional who has done lots of IEPs, um, I just thought you could come on and kind of walk through it um, for parents to know what to expect. So can you give us a little bit of insight on the IEP process? Sure. Um, so in preparation for this conversation, I just thought back as a teacher, what were the steps I went through um, prior to writing an IEP and during an IEP um, writing process? So prior to the IEP, the teacher is working really hard to collect that data from those IEP goals um, if, if it's not an initial. So if there are goals and objectives that they're working on through the year, they're doing that for, for weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, they're adjusting instruction, collecting that data, and then hopefully meeting those goals and objectives. Um, Then in preparation for the IEP within the few weeks prior to that, they're really looking at getting a baseline for those next steps. So if they are in first grade moving to second grade, they're going to use some second grade data points and instruction to get a baseline so they can write some really strong goals for that, for for your child for the next year. Um, And then another thing, depending on the types of services that the student is receiving is they'll reach out to the team. So that includes the parent, other professionals, related service providers, speech paths, OTs, um, and a gen ed teacher if they're if they're in inclusion or you know go out for for anything. They'll also touch base with those individuals and make sure they're getting input, um, and so that the IEP is well written and it you know encompasses all of those areas. So prior to the IEP, I feel like that's kind of what a teacher does. Um, There's always work being done towards that next year. Um, And then when they write the IEP, or when I would write an IEP, I would sit down, and the first thing I would do is update update old goals. So I'd collect all of that data sources, um, and I would look at the old goals, and I would say, okay, this is where we are. We've either met it or we haven't. Um, This is the progress that we've made towards that. And then... I would spend the bulk of my time in the present levels. So there are a lot of acronyms for present levels. And I feel like for parents who may be new to the IEP process, that is probably a hurdle. Um, So the present levels, sometimes people call them the PLOP, present level of performance. Sometimes people call those the PLAF, present level of academic achievement and functional performance. Um, So if you hear those, that's what people are talking about. and that is where it's been most of my time. It was a narrative about how your child is doing. It includes data points, um, both from the classroom and from, you know, things like AmesWeb or um, state testing or district testing. Um, and then based on that work that I would do there would then build the rest of the IEP. So 
So ahead. for your, yep. So for your data points, um, some of the ones that you mentioned were um, standardized tests, but not all of the data points are standardized tests. So can you talk about some of those other data points that you would bring in um, to those narratives? Yeah. So um, I would always really focus on painting a picture of what your child would be doing or the student would be doing in the classroom. So what curriculums are they accessing and using, especially for students who might be in alternate programming? Are they using the STAR program? Are they um, using any scripted-based programs? Is it a teacher-built program? And what pieces are they pulling in from, you know, uh, different resources? Um, what level are they reading at? What, how many sight words do they know? How many letters and sounds do they know? Um, that kind of thing. So I try to really paint a picture so that if, if the child were to move to a def different teacher or a different district, they would know where to pick up and start, or at least where the child had been. Um, I, I also include interventions that are happening. So if the child is in gen ed and they're receiving um, tiered intervention in some way, in addition to their services, what are those? Are we doing a phonics-based phonics intervention using Haggerty? Are we using IXL? Are we using Waterford? What do those look like? And those, I think, are pieces that are important for another educator to look at when they're, when they're looking at someone's IEP. Um, so all of those pieces um, and how the student is doing with those pieces. And then, of course, I would, we use AIMSWeb here in our district um, as a progress monitoring tool. So I would report on that. And then not only would I report like the name of the assessment or the probe given, the score, but then also the percentage. Um, and I think that percentage is probably the most important um, when we look at, you know, are they making the adequate amount of growth that we would like to see there? that answer your question? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, so then based on the present levels, that's what kind of would drive my process moving forward. So I would look at accommodations. So if the student has been in the classroom already, what accommodations are we actually using? I feel like this is an area where sometimes you can add a lot of things. Um, and then in practice, we might not need all of them. Or we're doing things in the classroom that we find the student needs, but is not reflected on the paperwork which I think as teachers is really easy for us. We see they need something and we do it, right? That's like good practice. Um, so just making sure that all of those are reflected in that area. Um, so again, the parent knows um, and another team could pick up and, and implement the same things. So I would take what we're doing in the classroom now and either adjust, take things off of what was in their last IEP or add um, if there were things that we were doing differently. Um, and then... I would move on to new goals. And I feel like this was always the area that I would do last. Um, I wanted to get everything else done and see where the students stood, present levels, where are they now, and then what do I need to do to build? So I'm going to meet them where they are now, and I'm going to move them forward. And you have to think it's a whole calendar year. So if they have their IEP in, say, March, it's not just until the end of the school year, like the end of their grade. So it's until the next March. So you have to take into account they're going to transition to a new grade. They're going to, it's a long time, 12 months. You know, we can make a lot of growth in that time. So sometimes I think those goals kind of sound lofty. Um, but we have to think in our mind a whole year out um, and all those services that they're getting and where they, they would be able to get at that point. And how much input um, in your, um, when you were writing IEPs, how much input did parents have in that process? 
So I'd always reach out to parents prior to me writing the IEP and ask like, what are your goals for the next year? What what is most important to you for your child? Um, And sometimes it would be things like, well, I want them to make more friends. Okay, great. Or I I really want them to get better with reading. Sometimes it would be an academic area. Sometimes it would be more of a functional area. Um, And then what I would do is take that into account when I was writing goals um, so that we're addressing not only their needs at school, but, you know, some of those pieces that transfer into home as well. Um, And usually if a parent has a concern in a functional area, we're, we're seeing it at school too. Um, and so it's something that we can we can build in. There are cases where, you know, a parent will say like toilet training, you know, so of course we're going to work on that at school um, as part of their program, but it might not be something that needs a goal tied to it. It doesn't mean we wouldn't work on it, um, but it might be something we think is going to be accomplished pretty quickly and not something we need to structure um, a goal around. Now, for some kiddos who are in alternate programming, things like that do need goals. It's going to take a lot more support um, and a lot different interventions for a kiddo to get those types of skills. So someone who may be in an autism program might need some of those more functional skills spelled out. Like we're going to implement visuals and we're going to do it in this way. And we want them to be more independent in five out of 10 of those steps or something like that. So I think it's definitely dependent on the level of the student and the program in which they're involved. And taking in the parent perspective, but also bringing in your professional expertise as the teacher who's seeing them every day. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, I always tell parents, you know, you're one of the most important people on this team. You know your child the best. You've been around them the longest, you know. And there have been times when, you know, I try to build really good relationships with parents and they come to drop their kid off when usually they ride the bus. I'm like, oh, hang up all your stuff or take off your coat. And their parent just watches like, they can do all of that, you know what I mean? (laughs) Just because it's a different environment and it's the expectation we have. Um, So I think those are great opportunities to just kind of, you know, be on the same page and IEP meeting too, you know, just sharing what happens in those different environments um, and making sure, you know, things are being done the same way and and that things can happen, like, or the opposite way. Parents will say, well, they can do that. Like they can count to 100. Like, really? I've never heard it. And then they'll send me a little video, you know? So those are great great opportunities to just make sure we're all on the same page for sure. And that communication is key. Um, So thinking about professionals and parents, are there any tips or tricks or um, things that you want to share as people are thinking about IEPs, getting into IEPs and understanding the process? Yeah, so I think for parents, one of those things, um, just I think staffings and IEP meetings can be probably intimidating. There's a lot of people there talking about about your child. Um, And I always try to bring in as many positives as I can. Um, But at IEP meetings, we're we're often talking about areas where they need more help, deficit areas. Um, And that can be overwhelming, I think, for a parent. Um, And so there's a lot of information thrown at parents in a really short amount of time in IEP meetings. And there's a lot of, like I said before, a lot of lingo. So I just would encourage people to ask, you know, just jump in and ask questions. Um, Those teams want to be there as a resource and a support. And so if there's a word or like they use an acronym you don't know, be like, hold on, what is that? Um, I would always try and at the beginning of the year, give my parents a little cheat sheet of those acronyms and like trying to help them understand the process a little bit more because it is overwhelming. I think when, especially when you first get into that process of special ed, there's a lot of testing 
there's a lot of um, jargon. And I think it's just important to have that open dialogue, you know, ask if you have a question. Um, I would rather sit and talk to a parent asking questions all day um, than not, you know. Than have them not understand what's happening. Right. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to our podcast from Starnet Regions 1 and 3. If you'd like to find out more about us, please visit us at starnet.org.